welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. In today's episode, we're sitting down with Mary Heffernan of Five Mary's Farms. We met up at their M5 Burger House in Fort Jones, California to talk about all things Five Mary's, like how she first discovered her love for small business, why she loves the rural life, the power of Instagram, and so much more. Mary is an entrepreneur at heart, and you'll love hearing how she and her family have built five Marys from the ground up. So here we go with Mary Heffernan. Today we're in Fort Jones, California with rancher and entrepreneur Mary Heffernan of Five Marys Farms. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for having me great to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about you and your background and what led you to this journey to Fort Jones. Well, it's somewhere I never expected to be, but I'm so happy I'm here and living this rural lifestyle with my family. Um, I grew up in Menlo Park, California, which is now pretty much the heart of Silicon Valley. It is a place of hustle and bustle and business opportunity and we, my husband and I met there. Um, I went to college in Virginia and then moved back to Menlo Park and was on my way to medical school, um, but started a tutoring business to kind of help put myself through medical school. And um, I just saw a need for a tutoring center at the time in our small town. And I realized pretty quickly that I loved small business um, and opening this little tutoring center in my downtown and serving all these families. I loved making the logo myself and creating a website and setting up shop and building lots and lots of Ikea furniture with mini Allen wrenches. And um, I just loved like the aspect of setting up a physical shop and serving customers and kind of building my brand. So I realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to go back to medical school and I wanted to kind of pursue this business and it spurred other businesses. Um, I saw a need for a place where people could bring their younger children, um, kind of like an on-demand preschool where you could drop off if moms had meetings or wanted to get their nails done or have lunch with a friend. And so I started a little business called Brilliant Babies where you could drop kids off and know that it was a really fun, safe, secure environment even for little ones. Um, and then I saw there was like a need for kind of an errand running service. And so I started that and called it Go Go Menlo. And I had all these Go Go girls working for us that wore hot pink t-shirts and had hot pink razors and would kind of run errands for you wherever you went. So the business creation sort of came naturally to me. I really loved it. Um, I met my husband around then. He was an attorney at a big firm in Menlo Park. And my husband did grow up more in agriculture. His dad was a farmer. His grandparents were farmers. Um, and he... Uh, always wanted to get back to farming, but in his dad's operation, there wasn't a place for him. And his dad gave him the sage advice that he should probably look for a career that he could make some money. And if he ever wanted to come back to agriculture, you know, think about it then. So um, my husband worked for a few years and then went to law school. And um, when I met him, you know, he was working crazy hours at a big firm, but he was passionate about what he did. He actually did as he called it, dirt law. So it was kind of agricultural based. He was doing entitlements and that sort of thing for other farms and ranches. And um, we started a family and quickly realized that the big firm life wasn't for him. And so he um, left the firm and started his own small boutique practice and leased a space, subleased a space from me above my business. So we kind of 
you know, eased our way into working together. Um, at first I had my small business, he had his, and we worked side by side and would have lunch together. And that was a great sort of first step. And then um, I am kind of kept seeing these needs and opening business as we went. And I call myself an accident, accidental restaurateur because I never <laughs> meant to open a restaurant. I still question the decisions every day. But, um, restaurants are so hard, but I was really passionate about good food and serving families um, at a place where they could feel comfortable bringing kids. You know, we had two and then three and then four little kids at the time. And my husband and I loved to go out to eat. I'd love to go out to lunch with my mom. Um, we loved good food. We loved knowing that the food was sourced well. Uh, but we just felt, you know, most places we'd walk in with a bunch of little kids and you kind of get these looks like, oh, geez, really? <laughs> so um, the goal was to create a space where families were welcome, um, have a great kids menu that was, you know, beyond chicken fingers and pizza and have great food, great wine selection, great beers for the adults and kind of mesh the two like high fine dining with family. Um, so we opened uh, our first restaurant thinking that it was going to be a clubhouse. We thought, well, maybe we'll have the food catered in. Um, and once we realized we really had to build a full commercial kitchen to actually um, serve food, even if it was going to be catered in, we thought, well, this is silly. We'll just hire our own chef. And so uh -huh. we literally opened up the first day and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> we have to like, I basically am having a dinner party for breakfast, lunch and dinner seven days a week. Um, and it, there were so many challenges, but uh, my husband really started helping more with the restaurant after we opened and he's really creative and a great cook and really appreciates good food. Um, and I think he found an outlet that he wasn't really reaching in his days of lawyering um, through working at the restaurant. And so he, and I loved having him there with me, um, helping, you know, it was like, you can't have enough uh, force to help run a restaurant. So together we did that. And it was, um, despite, you know, a lot of hurdles, it was successful. And so we opened a second restaurant and um, a few other small businesses in the town. We had a craft store and a floral shop and a um, kind of vintage sale shop. And, you know, it was just Silicon Valley was so ripe for new ideas and new businesses at the time. And we were really jumping on that and loving it. I loved, you know, creating these businesses and these brands. Um, and in our, our search for really great quality meat is what sort of led us to Fort Jones. Okay. Um, we, we wanted a ground beef for our burger. We, we wanted the best burger we could possibly make. And we were launching our third restaurant concept that was going to be a high-end burger house, um, working with a chef who'd worked at high-end Michelin-rated restaurants. Um, he was a friend of mine from growing up. And, you know, he said, I want to make really good food that's approachable and isn't, you know, $300 a plate. And and we said, well, we want to make really good food that's family friendly, that everybody can come and enjoy. And so we worked together on this concept. And as we were working on the plans, we spent an entire year trying to find the perfect burger. So every, once a week, we'd have in our kitchen, we'd be menu testing different grinds and different beef from different sources and different breeds and different farms. And, um, you know, one thing that we realized was that a good burger is made by good meat. You know, yes. you, you can do, you can have homemade buns, you can have fancy cheese, but it all starts with the ground beef. And so we um, realized, okay, we, we need to have more control over the source and where we're getting this meat. And so we worked with a few different small farms and we, they had such great stories and we loved working with them. And 
we just found that there was too much inconsistency. You know, we'd take a, a steer to the butcher ourselves. Like we would help them raise it, rent the trailer, go to the butcher and, you know, pick exactly what was going in the grind. And sometimes it was great and sometimes it wasn't. And so we were like, man, this is, we need more control over exactly how we're raising these. Mm-hmm. Um, we realized we, we needed to start with great genetics, with good cows that were built for marbling and good ribeyes. Um, my my brother-in-law is a sixth generation, sorry, he's a fifth generation. His son, my godson, is a sixth generation cattle rancher up in Burns, Oregon. And luckily, Brian's younger sister married him, Donald Doverspike. He's a great guy. And he kind of was our ticket to knowing we could do this. So okay. we started talking to Donald, like, what else do we need to make really great meat every time? And so we, we knew we needed good genetics. Um, we knew what we wanted to feed them. We wanted a grass-fed lifestyle, but we also wanted a barley finish. Um, we wanted a dry age was really important. We knew we wanted a dry age, a hang of at least 21 to 28 days. Um, and so we thought, okay, now we know what we want. Now let's find who's going to do this for us. We came up empty. So we said, you know what, let's just do this ourselves. Um, and my husband and I had always wanted to do some sort of an agriculture, um, based, part of our life. You know, we thought maybe someday we'll retire to a small ranch or have a piece of property that's for recreation. Um, and the time had never been right. So the stars sort of started aligning where we said, if we can find a property that, you know, can be our weekend getaway, that will double as a place where we can raise these cattle and have total control over the way we want to raise them, this could be a win-win. So um, kind of on a whim around Thanksgiving that year, Brian was on a run she doesn't have to do anymore now that he's a rancher. <laughs> and uh, my sister-in-law and I were sitting and opening our laptops, and we kind of started looking around at ranches, and I found one online. Brian came back from his run and said, you know, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I just found this, this ranch. And he said, oh, if you're looking for if you're looking, if you found a ranch, we should go look at it. Uh-huh. He was excited that I was, like, kind of motivated on this idea. And um, so the next day, we went and drove up and looked at this ranch, and it wasn't kind of what we thought, uh, wasn't really – as what we expected and the realtor said well there's another one I can show you but um you know it's been it's been on the market a long time and there's some succession issues and it could be tied up in court and my husband said well that's what I do for a living so it doesn't scare me yeah Yeah. (laughs) I can handle that um and truth be told we pulled up to the ranch and I said no let's get back in the car and this is the ranch where we live now but I uh it was a dreary day, and the, there was two houses right on the road with no fence, and the ranch was split by the, the road, and, I, you know, all I could see was kids running around and dogs in the, the road, and I thought, oh, this ranch isn't for us, and the realtor said, well, let's just give it a minute and look around, and so we drove up in the hills, and it was just this magnificent view of this valley where we live now, Scott Valley, and um, this property that just sort of called us like no this this does feel right and you know it's okay that it has this 760 square foot cabin that's falling down but <laughs> the ranch is beautiful and this um this feels like where we're supposed to be and so we made an offer and uh we closed on December 27th so about 30 days after opening that laptop we owned a ranch wow and we kind of then looked at each other like okay <laughs> we're really doing this now what do we do so uh, my brother-in-law Donald helped us source source some really great cattle, um, beautiful cows with great genetics to raise really great meat. So we started buying the cows and bringing them on the ranch, and we hired a ranch manager, and we were traveling back and forth every weekend 
Um, so we'd be running the restaurants and the businesses all week and then jump in the car and drive six hours on a good day without traffic. At the time, our four girls were um, one, two, four, and five. So we had four car seats and it was, it was a, a little bit of a challenge. That to, was a commitment. Yes, it was <laughs> to make that trip. So we um, found that we just loved it up here. There was an unexpected find in an amazing community um, with great schools and great people and great offerings in this town. And we thought, you know, this feels like home. This feels like where we're supposed to be. So uh, I think on the eighth weekend, just two months in, driving back to the Bay Area, um, we kind of looked at each other and said, you know what, it feels like we're leaving home, not going home, and maybe we should just never leave. And it was literally like, okay, yeah, you're right. We should never leave. And that, that decision was made in an instant. It was not a hard decision. Um, it was a little bit more difficult to unwind our life. You know, we had sure, yeah. <laughs> businesses and our family there and our home and the girls' school and everything we'd built. Um, but it was, we were so passionate about raising these animals ourselves. You know, it didn't feel right when we had someone else feeding them when we weren't there and making decisions about their health or moving them on different pastures. And so we, we, we were committed to being up here. Um, we moved from a beautiful house that we had worked so hard for and thought, you know, this is our forever home. We'd only been in it a year and a half. And I, when we bought it, we thought the girls will walk down these stairs when they get married. And so it, we had to leave that home and move into 760 square foot ranch hand cabin. It was two bedrooms. The girls all slept on a mattress on the floor for the first six months. And then I built them triple bunk beds in the closet for the next year. Um, and now we've just kind of popped up into the attic and they share that room. But we thought we'd build a house when we got here and we just found that our priorities changed. You know, it's not when we were in the Bay Area, it was we need, we need to have a bigger house and we need to keep moving and keep building. And we moved our family here and everything changed. It was like, this is all we need. This house is warm when we come in from doing chores. It's easier to clean. There's not a lot that we need to do. We don't spend a lot of time in the house because we, we are outside all the time. And so my husband said we moved from a big house with a small backyard to a small house with a big backyard. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we hope to be in that house as, as long as we can. And my family comes to visit and they're like, wow, <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are okay here? We're like, yeah, yeah, we're fine. We just got to keep the wood stove going or it gets really cold. <laughs> So you haven't added on or anything? No. We we added up into the attic just a okay. little bit. But no, it's, it's still a um, tiny little house, and we're hoping to be there as long as we can. There's another house on the property that's um, a beautiful old Victorian. It's like an eight-bedroom house, and a lot of people say, well, why don't you live in that house? <laughs> um, but it is literally like a 150-year-old relic that has been untouched since then and would be really difficult to live in. There's no insulation and not really much modern plumbing. Um, and honestly, we just found that the small space is, is, is all we need. So we're, um, we're there now, and we've been here for five years almost. We bought the ranch five years ago, and we moved up full-time about four and a half years ago. Um, when we moved, we realized that we sold our businesses, we sold our restaurants. Um, we wanted to raise this meat that we had, we started this mission to raise really good meat. And we still wanted to continue that mission. And we really wanted to get that meat directly to our customers. We didn't want to have to go through restaurants or distributors. Um, we didn't want to have to sell to, you know, to a commodities market. Um, starting out 
as ranchers is really difficult, obviously. The financial barrier for just up and starting a ranch and the equipment and the tractors and the trailers. Um, there's so much that goes into it that we knew if we had any hope of making it, we had to really be careful with our margins and somehow get rid of the middleman so that we could, we could make this work. So we started, once we had our first product, we, I think lamb was the first uh, meat that we had and then beef and pork. And we would, we didn't really want to do farmer's markets because they felt kind of saturated to us, you know, just to jump in as a brand new farm um, when there's, you know, farms that have been there a long time and they have their established markets. Um, and we didn't want to have somebody else doing the shipping or delivering. And so at first we started doing what we called um, pop-up farm stands. So we would kind of make our own farmer's market, either in my parents' backyard or at a friend's house. Um, we'd bring in our friend who was a chef and cook up our meats. We would have a cocktail bar. Um, usually when we'd go, you know, we'd have a big setup with all our products and coolers of all the cuts. People could fill a bag. And half the time we'd have a baby farm animal, like a bottle baby that we couldn't leave on the ranch by itself. So we'd have it tagging along and it turned out to be a great attraction. You know, it was like, you can come buy your meat and bottle feed Tuesday the calf. Um, and those worked great for us initially to kind of create a customer base and tell and show people what we were about. Um, and then, but it was a lot of work, you know, it was, it was packing up coolers and trailers and signage and taking the whole family and be gone for three days and then having to rush back to get all the meat back in the freezer. And um, we eventually graduated into a freezer trailer so we could do it a little more. But we soon realized that that our hope was really just to stay on the ranch and not have to leave. So while that helped us build our customer base, we didn't want it to be our long-term model. And um, so we dove headfirst into shipping our product. And shipping is a bear. You know, at first yeah. I was like, how is this even possible? And I have every product under the sun for shipping perishables as a sample and the different price points and um, working with UPS and FedEx and how do you ship, you know, when you're just starting out, when you don't have a high volume. So we really spent a year just working on the logistics of how we could ship from a small town in rural California to anywhere in the country, um, including Alaska and Hawaii. And so we developed a prototype for our insulated boxes um, and it works great. It's a biodegradable insulated liner and we have boxes that we custom brand our, our brand on and it's all kind of been an evolution. Like in the, at first I was looking for these boxes and I knew I didn't want to do styrofoam or something that our customers couldn't recycle and um, wasn't really in line with our mission. So I said, you know what, we've got all these sheep. I mean, we get thousands of pounds of wool every year when we shear and wool is the best insulator. And we've got tons of wood on the ranch that we can mill. So why don't we just make our own boxes like the old fashioned apple crates that people can you know, use to put their mud boots under their bed and and then we could make some insulation with this wool. So it sounded great. And uh -huh. I, you know, bought all the tools I needed to do kind of like a vac seal on the, the liners with the wool. Um, we had a woodworker in town here help us make like a prototype for a box that kind of looked like a crate that had the M5 brand on it. And I tested it out and put, um, you know, 10 pounds of frozen product in that on the porch in the hot sun. And that product did not thaw for four or five days. It wow. was like the best insulation possible. <laughs> but then I started looking at repeating that. <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh, I have to make 10 of these. I have to make a hundred of these, like a thousand, like this, this might not work. So um, we still have that little prototype, but we obviously went to something that was a little bit more repeatable. 
Um, and we have, you know, when we, we bought the white boxes, I didn't want to jump into tens of thousands of boxes for, um, with our custom branding all over it. So we just brought them home and I took the brand that we brand the cows with and stuck a few M5s on there and it worked great. And now that's kind of our signature. And, you know, I feel like a, a lot of times in small business, that's just what works is, is being a little bit more craft and you don't have to have the perfect boxes that are pre-printed with beautiful logos. Like sometimes it just works to have something that, um, is sort of your signature. So we started shipping boxes from the ranch um, with our customer base and just from word of mouth that grew. And then using Instagram really um, has, is our, I'd say 80% of our marketing. It's such an amazing tool to be able to use social media to tell our story. Um, I kind of liken it to, you know, the olden days when you would see a farmer at the end of your street and every day when you drove by, he's out there feeding his cows and doctoring his cows, taking care of his cows and delivering a calf in the night. And you, and you know that those animals are well taken care of. And so when he opens his little shop on Sundays and has his meat to sell, you're going to stop and buy it and feel good about buying it and know that you're supporting that farmer and that you feel good about the way that meat was raised. Um, and Instagram allows us to do that. You know, so many of our followers feel like they are part of our story and they see what we're doing every day. Um, I say I'm an oversharer on Instagram, but I share snippets of our day-to-day and Instagram stories, um, posts, you know, the good and the bad. There's ups and downs. There's sad times. There's hard days. But I kind of share it all. And I think I have a bit of a unique perspective on it because I'm new to ranching. You know, and people yeah. who have been doing this forever think, well, of course, that's the way you do it. Like, what, <laughs> how else would you do it? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't even believe this is happening. And so I can really um, share that perspective of like, wow, you guys, can, did you know that this is how this works? And people are like, no, I had no idea. And it really gives me um, an easy way to kind of share what is unusual and what a lot of America doesn't really know about the day to day ins and outs of farming or, or ranching. So Instagram has really helped us um, grow our business, and now we're shipping three, four, five hundred boxes a week all over the country. Um, we bought a little store in town. It was an old. It was actually the original butchery in town um, in the 1800s, and then before us, it was the feather shop where they. Everyone asked me, "Well, what's a feather shop?" Well, they actually sold feathers. <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> sold like beautiful feathers um, to like Vegas showgirls and so the feather shop closed and we bought the building and turned it into our retail store and packing shop so we call it the Five Mary's Farm Store but um, that's where we do all of our packing and so we have um, all of our meats and our other products we do spice rubs and honey we do sell our hides um, everything ships out of our store there. So it took us a few years, you know, to get kind of the shipping under control and to get the customer base under control. Um, but now we feel like we're at a really great spot where we can share our meats and um, share them with anyone all over the country. It's such a great story. And it was actually your husband who came up with the name, right? Yes, he did. He, everybody says, what about him? Your husband, you left your husband out. But um, I have four daughters and they are all named Mary after different grandmothers and aunts. Um, my husband and I both come from strong Irish Catholic families. And um, our daughters are Mary Frances, who's 11, and she goes by Francie. Mary Marjorie is nine. She's Maisie. Mary Jane goes by JJ, and she is seven, and Mary Teresa is Tessa, and she's six years old. So 
uh, together. We were the five Marys. I love it. So you moved your family here. How did you go about learning ranching? And even what was that like for your girls? I mean, that was a total shift in everything they had ever known. It was. And for, for me too. I yeah. think it, the, the adjustment was probably the biggest change for me. The girls were pretty easy going about it. Um, Francie had just finished her first year of kindergarten. And so they were still pretty flexible. Um, and they had been coming up here on the weekends and they just loved it here. So for them, um, they, they didn't really even skip a beat. They just learned to take their shoes off and put them on when it got cold in the winter. (laughs) Um, and they, they really jumped into helping the transition was a little bit harder for me just to go from having amenities at arm's reach anytime, anywhere to, um, you know, no takeout, no pizza delivery, no helpers. You know, when my husband and I worked, both worked full time, um, my cousin helped as a nanny and we had a housekeeper and here that's just aren't options. Like you just do it. And there's so much work to do. I mean, my husband and I have never shied away from hard work. We've always worked hard, but it's a different level of hard work on a ranch. And, um, I think what changed for me the most was my parenting. And I actually wrote an ebook about this called, um, they can do it. What I learned about parenting, um, by moving to the country and the, the kids became so much more self-reliant and capable when we came here, mostly out of necessity. You know, I feel like in our old life, I babied them or I would just do things for them because I thought, well, I'm their mom and, you know, I need to take care of them. And they're little, they couldn't possibly do this. And so I would do their laundry and get, you know, get their baths ready and help get their PJs on and um, make them their meals and their snacks and fill their sippy cups. And then we move here and it's like, boom, like it's pouring rain and there's a mama cow in distress delivering a calf. And we run inside like, girls, dad and I have to be out there for the next few hours. You need to make dinner and bathe your sisters and that do the laundry and get ready for bed. And they were like, okay, yeah, that's fine. We can do it. I was like, okay, oh, I hope so. <laughs> and then I'd come back a few hours later and, you know, there's mac and cheese made and the kids are all in bed reading books. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never would have expected my kids could do this. So I really shifted my whole paradigm of like what to expect from my children. And they rose to the challenge and they still have. And I, I'm so thankful that we made that move when we did because they are really capable, self-sufficient, independent girls who help us run the ranch. You know, we have 1,800 acres and um, four different species of animals we're raising, plus dogs and horses and everything else going on. And we only have one ranch hand. And really, it's my husband and I and the girls who do it. You know, there's always one of us out helping drive the feed truck, or we'll all be out there feeding the animals. Um, last night, Francie, who's 11, was checking the pregnant pig by herself in the dark with a headlamp. And it's um, really helped us to be able to do what we do because they've, they've stepped up to the plate. That's great. Well, you mentioned Instagram has been a big part of all of this. So it's really allowed you to create an online community because I feel like the girls, watching the girls get their hands dirty and be such a part of what you do on the farm, is it, people love it. Yeah, it is. It's really neat to see this kind of community that we've created on Instagram. And um, people are so supportive of what we do. And, you know, I've been really lucky. I I haven't really had a lot of the, you know, typical hater comments. And Instagram has been nothing but really a happy place of support for us. Um, And it's really allowed us to share our story and share what we're doing and 
get a lot of questions from people who are interested in making this lifestyle shift themselves or they're just starting out raising chickens or raising sheep. Um, And a few times it's been really helpful for me too, where I am out there. um, I remember the girls and I came home from school one day and Brian was a rare day that he was off the ranch and we saw this mama sheep in distress. We knew she was um, in labor, but she was dying. And I had to call Brian and he had to walk me through putting her down. I'd never, you know, had to do this myself before without him. And so the girls helped me through it. And then we had to immediately try to C-section these lambs to try to save them. And we're, one of the girls has the phone and she's Instagramming on stories while we're doing it. And she's like, mom, a lady said to put it in a Ziploc bag and, and put it in the bath instead of just getting it wet. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And so we're doing that on the fly. And, you know, it's this, this amazing way that you can reach people um, in real time. And the Instagram Live and Instagram Stories has really helped with that, too, because it's not just one-sided. You know, it's not just a post, and then there's some comments. It's like we can answer questions and interact with people and talk about their stories and what's worked for them. Um, So it really is kind of a a neat micro-community of um, people in agriculture and people who aren't who want to be or just want to feel a connection, even though their life could be very different. Well, you have built Five Mary's Farm into a nationally recognized name and brand. You've been featured in Oprah Magazine, and you have brand deals with Carhartt and Verizon, just to name a few. Was that always one of your goals, or have you been surprised by just how people have latched onto this? I mean, I feel we're really lucky, and I have been surprised that I, you know, we could build a business from a small town. I think that was one of my biggest concerns moving rurally was, you know, I'm moving from the land of opportunity to a town of 600 people. How am I going to build a business there? Um, But, you know, thanks to social media and different um, outlets like magazines and word of mouth, our brand has really spread. And I, um, I, it's, it's shocking every time to see us in print and, but it's really fun. And we're really proud of, you know, what we've done and that, that when it gets recognized, it's, it's a good feeling. Well, you have really put Fort Jones on the map and tell us why this is a good destination for anyone looking for a fun adventure. It, Fort Jones is a great town and Siskiyou County in general. Um, we're at the top of the state in California and you know, people say, oh, you're in Northern California, like near San Francisco. I'm like, keep going, six, <laughs> six more hours. <laughs> we're pretty far up here, but it's a beautiful place. We're just below the Southern Oregon border, um, right near Mount Shasta and McLeod. There's a lot of neat things in Siskiyou County. Um, and Fort Jones, we, um, we took over the historic bar and restaurant here, which we said when we sold our other restaurants that we'd never do again, <laughs> jump into the restaurant business. But um, right two doors down from my farm store, this really neat historic um, bar and restaurant, which we're sitting in right now. You can hear some of the bar noise in the yeah. background. Um, came up for sale, and my husband and I looked at it and thought, wow, somebody needs to revive that. It's not going to be us, <laughs> but somebody <laughs> needs to do it. And then it kind of kept tugging at us, and um, turned out there was this crazy story where the owners who had um, were trying to sell it ended up being six generations back related to my husband, you know, he said, well, Mary Heffernan, that's your name. My great-grandmother was Mary Heffernan from Brooklyn, New York, the 13th of 13 children from the small town in Ireland. And Brian's mom's like, no, that's the same town that Brian's grandfather was from. So it was kind of one of those things that just knocks you on the, knocks you on your back. Like, you just have to do this. Uh-huh. There's no two ways around it. It's meant to be. It. Yep. So um, 
we took over the liquor licenses and the commercial kitchen, and we serve our own um, beef, pork, and lamb on the menu. We're really proud of our meats, and we're so happy to share them locally. Um, and people come to visit from all over, which also shocks us every time somebody walks in the door like, we're, we're here for my 40th birthday, or I came here on my honeymoon. And um, Last weekend, we had a couple get engaged here, and they, yeah. it was really cute. That, um, her boyfriend planned it all and flew her here and then brought her out on the ranch, and we planned this whole engagement. And so it was, it was really neat. We have a little place in town that we Airbnb um, so people can come stay, and there's a couple other options and hotels in town. But it's a great way for us to um, have people come and kind of experience the whole Five Marys experience. Yeah, and you're not only creating amazing experiences for people, but you're also creating jobs. So the community has to be really embracing that as well, too. Yeah, for sure. We've got such great people here. And I think that's what's really made owning a restaurant um, in a small town a totally different experience is that we've got a great staff here that are really committed to our brand and to the whole kind of Five Mary story. So we've had some staff who've been here with us since the beginning. We've been open a year now. Um, we've got a great husband-wife kitchen uh, chef team and um, an awesome bartender and an awesome server. And then we've got, you know, peripheral staff under them who really help kind of keep the wheels on. That's great. And you've also created some other experiences to draw people here. Like I know next week you're having your first small business workshop and you do other things as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we do retreats on the ranch. So we, we wanted to open up our ranch and share the experience with other people. But it's pretty difficult on a working ranch. You know, people yeah. think, oh, can I just come do chores with you? And <laughs> you're like, well, it's, you know, on, for one hand, it's kind of dangerous. And we don't always know what time we're going to do them. And also for us, that's kind of our favorite time as a family is when we're out there working together. And um, so it's hard to always share that time. But in the summer, um, you know, it's so beautiful out on the ranch. And we have a spot that kind of overlooks the whole valley where we built an outdoor, we call it glamping or glamour camping, um, a whole campsite with wall tents that are luxury tents with real beds and real linens and outdoor showers and real bathrooms. And we've got this beautiful kitchen. Um, so we bring people in for a weekend to experience ranch life with amazing food, amazing recipes, learning to cook, learning our cocktails. We've got some secret ranch cocktails that we do. Um, and going out with chores for us, you know, we've got people that are here you know, on vacation and we say, you can sleep in and we'll do a chores in the afternoon. Oh no, they're out there at 5.45 with Brian and some other ranchers ask Brian like, so you have people paying you to do chores with you? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really just being a part of it and being part of the experience and yeah. we love sharing that with other people. So we do um, retreats in the summer. We're, um, last year we had eight and this year we're only doing three and we'll probably ease up on the retreats a little bit because they really are a lot of work for the whole family. I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And we've got um, a lot going on. So we, we want to continue um, being able to do it, but we probably won't do as many. But what I'm kind of focusing on um, next is what I'm really excited about is helping other ranchers learn how to do what we've done in the shipping and the distribution. Um, I was in their place once too, and it is really daunting. 
And I didn't know anybody who was doing it that I could ask for advice. And so many of these things, if they're just explained um, or you have a connection to the distributor or know, you know, how to do the proper shipping channels can make it so much easier. So I've helped a couple ranchers um, so far and they're so appreciative and it's so amazing to read their stories. You know, this Susie um, in Montana rancher just sent me a testimonial where she's like, my family would be out of business right now if it weren't for what you taught me last year. And now we're shipping successfully and we're shipping all over the country. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's like you mentioned earlier, the um, collaboration over competition. And there's plenty of mouths to feed. You know, it's yes. not, it's like people say, oh, isn't that, aren't they competing against you though? It's like, no, no we're all in this yeah. together. <laughs> it's hard enough to be a rancher. We all need to work together. And uh, so part of that is educating people about, you know, what, um, what all natural means or why vaccinations aren't bad things and you know kind of being on the same team in terms of knowing and trusting your rancher and that's a big part of it for us is more than certifications it's just knowing and trusting where your food's coming from and then being able to get that food from a farmer you know and trust so there's farms and ranches all over the country producing great products and I want to help them figure out how to build a website, how to get their brand out there, how to market themselves on social media, and really the logistics of putting that meat in a box and shipping it and getting it directly to a customer. So I'm doing a course um, called Small Business from Scratch. I'm always, you know, the on the shoestring girl where you don't need to hire a photographer and a website designer. Yeah. You can do it yourself. Yeah. So the whole course is called You Can Do It, which my husband named because my kid's children's slash parenting book is they can do it and he's like well you know you just need to tell these ladies you can do it <laughs> so um the the course is you can do it small business from scratch and um we're working on the final kind of details of the course now it'll be available online so anybody can do it you know farmers and ranchers don't have a lot of free time so it kind of needs to be flexible that they can go at their own pace and do it from home but I'm also doing some workshops in person um, we're doing our first one this weekend to kick it off I want to make sure that I have most questions answered and most of what I've laid out makes sense. So we're doing it with kind of a initial group of 14 ladies that are going to come stay at our Five Mary's guest house and we're going to have dinner at the burger house and do ranch tours and all that. But we're really going to be on the couch, on our laptops all weekend, getting this information to them. So I'm really excited about that and then um, hoping to launch the e-course um, a few weeks after. I love that. And I think it's great that you're open-handed with what you've learned and not afraid to share it because you're right. I mean, your ranch can only have so many cattle on it, right? Right, so exactly. Many, yeah. And we feel really lucky that, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today if a lot of really smart farmers and ranchers hadn't shared information with us. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of one of those things that the more you give, the more you get. And I just um, am really excited to be able to share what I know now um, and return the favor. Yeah, pay it forward. Yep. Well, I know you love giving back, too, and you recently had an initiative to help give back to some of the families who lost homes and all sorts of things in the car fire. Yeah, the California fires this year were just devastating, and um, we had some some of our customers that were affected and lost their home, and I got this email from one that said, oh, you know, we can't take our monthly box this month because we lost our home and our freezer and everything, and we're staying with friends, and we thought, oh, oh my gosh, what can we do to help? And so we thought, well, let's send a box of meat to the people who are hosting them. And then it kind of grew into this idea of, well, how can we, how can we help these people? And not only people who lost their homes, but also these hosts who are opening their homes for an indefinite 
period of time to help these people. So uh, we posted on social media and said, hey, we're going to match pound for pound. Anybody who wants to buy a pound of meat to give to these families, we'll match it. And then we try, we collected donations for um, $100 gift cards to the local supermarket so that you know they could have a few, make a few meals together and not be stressed about it. And it just really exploded thanks to the support of our Instagram community and our customer base. Um, and within a few weeks, we had raised enough to, I think we fed 7,000 pounds of our ground beef to these families. And we had over $40,000 in gift cards. Um, Boggs Footwear gave a pair of boots to all the 4-H kids. Carhartt gave hats and new beanies to all the kids. And we had farms from Napa come up and bring a bunch of produce. We ended up having to go back three times and setting up these little pop-ups. Um, my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law are from down there and they helped us set these up. But it was a really neat example of um, mobilizing for good and also how social media is really such a tool that can do so much good. You know, it gets a bad rap, but this was this was pretty special. And we've still been in touch with a lot of those families and um, sent another box when they run out when they're still hosting families and just hearing from them how much just a simple pound of ground beef meant. You know, it was like this, we all sat together around the table and we're just so thankful for that. And I, I kind of love that, you know, bringing people together through food. And so it was, a, it was a really neat experience that we were just thankful to be part of. Well, what is your favorite thing about rural America? Rural America, uh, you know, not being from um, a rural town. I grew up in a suburban town that um, had a lot of great people in it. But rural America is something special about the sense of community. And, you know, the restaurant has really shown me that because on Friday and Saturday nights here, it's kind of like opening up your living room and <laughs> you know pretty much everyone here and people are, um, they're there for you. You know, if, if they know what's going on in your life and if you had a hard week on the ranch and lost some animals and everybody's patting you on the back, like, oh, happens to the best of us. And did you try this? And did you try this? And if there's no real sense of competition and well you're doing the same you're in the same business I am so I can't share my secrets it's like we've my husband and I have been out you know in the beginning trying to deliver a breech calf and a neighbor drove by and we'd been at it and at it and trying every trick we knew and watching YouTube videos and calling my brother-in-law and calling the vets and we were like you know I think we're we might be at an impasse here and a neighbor drives by and gets out of his truck and comes and you know not in a you guys don't know what you're doing way but like a can can I help we're like, well, you know, no, it's raining. It's Friday night. You go home to your family. No, I'd like to help. Well, okay, we don't know what we're doing here. Can you, like, <laughs> how about this? How about this? So this, you know, neighbor stayed for four hours and helped us until we got that calf out. And at one point we looked at him like, okay, you've given us your advice. Thank you. You go home now. We'll finish. And he just said, this isn't about you. This is about your animal. And I'm not leaving until he's, this is done. And it's that sense of if someone needs something, everybody jumps. And um, i it's really special to be a part of. We love our small town community. We do. <laughs> well, what's on the flip side, the most challenging thing about rural America? I think for me, you know, I'm used to, uh, in my old life, I was used to things happening in an instant and things being available at your fingertips. And that was a big adjustment for me. It's like, I think I've, it's, just spurred me to, to do more myself. But I used to say, oh, I, I really want, you know, this these two rooms painted. So I'm going to call a painter and I'll have a painter here tomorrow and get it painted. And then here it's like, 
talk to the painter. Well, I can, pr- I can probably do it in like three or four months. I'm like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I'm going to go to the paint store right now and just get the paint and do it myself. Yeah. So you, um, you kind of have to get resourceful because you either you have to do it or it might not get done. Absolutely. Well, I know there's a lot of people who look at what you've done and have a similar dream and probably think, I would love to do that, but it seems so far out of my reach. It seems impossible. What would you say to someone like that? Because you've made a go of it and you've made it successful. You know, I think so many people idealize moving to rural America or living a homesteader life or living on a ranch or a farm. And it should be idealized because it is awesome. But you have to understand that it is a lot of work. Yes. Um, and it's not all just pretty pictures of, you know, chickens. Like, chickens poop and it's disgusting. And it will be all over your front porch. And, you know, the wood sitting by the wood stove at the end of the night. But you have to be out there every week cutting that wood or you're going to freeze. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's a beautiful way of life. Um, but you really have to be prepared for a ne- another level of work that... Um, you can't really even imagine. It's 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 a day sun up to sundown. There's no breaks or vacation. You know, you're you might need to check on those pigs all night long, every night for a week, and then still have to get up the next day and feed your cows. Um, so it it's a lot of work, but the return that you get for the work you put in it vastly outweighs the um, amount of effort that goes into it. That's great. Well, what's next for Five Marys Farm? So we do have big plans this year. My husband and I are very excited for what's to come in 2019. Um, The only piece really of our operation and our vertical integration that is missing is processing. And um, butchering the animals and packaging into USDA inspected cut and wrap facility, uh, that really is kind of our Achilles heel. Um, it's the only thing that we have to outsource and, you know, as in, in many things, unless you're doing it yourself, it might not get done right. Um, and we feel that to honor the animal and to honor all this work that we put into raising these animals right, those packages have to be perfect. Every steak needs to be cut beautifully. Every bone needs to be Frenched properly. Every package needs to be vacuum sealed perfectly. And when that doesn't happen, it's really disappointing. Not only um, can it hurt financially, it's not what we want to put out as having our name on it. So we have researched left, right, every direction how to do this ourselves. And um, we've been working on plans for a few years, and we finally have um, stamped plans, and we are ready to build our own USDA cut and wrap and um, harvesting facility. So we're we're jumping into that. It's going to be a big project. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's um it's will add, you know, another level of complexity to what we do every day, but it also really solves a big problem and it's one that we can really feel good about knowing that we have control over. Um so that will hopefully happen within 2019. Um but we will be busy with it this year. That's super exciting. Well, we will be watching on Instagram. Okay, good. (laughs) I'll be oversharing on Instagram. That's great. We love it. Well, how do we follow along? Speaking of Instagram, how do we follow along with everything that you have going on? So I'm Five Marys Farms on Instagram. And um, our website is www.fivemarysfarms.com. And our e-commerce site is shop5marys.com. 
Um, we're also on Facebook under Five Marys and um, all the information about kind of our retreats and the Airbnb and our um, new small business workshop are on the website or in a link in my profile on Instagram as well. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Mary. This is fascinating. I love what you're doing. I love the great work. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Yep. so impressed by Mary's can-do approach to marketing and branding and tackling every part of their business. She is such an inspiration, and that's why I love so much that she is sharing what she's learned through her new small business workshop. Registration for her e-course actually starts tomorrow, so be sure to go check out the Five Marys website for more information on that. And while you're there, you can also check out the ways that you can experience the ranch for yourself. Thanks again to Mary for being on the podcast and thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back here next week. Have a great day, everybody.